Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Tom's Hardware Show. I'm Sharon, and it's October 29th, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, which means it's time to kick things off live. Yes, we are live like we are every week, which means we are taking questions from the viewers. If you have anything you'd like to ask our guests this week, just drop your question into the chat, whether you're watching us on Facebook or YouTube, and we'll be answering questions by the end of the show. So I'm super excited for today's show because we have some fantastic guests joining us today. First up, you should know him by now. He's Tom's Hardware Senior Graphics Card Editor, Jared Walton. Hi, Jared. Howdy. What have you been up to this week? Oh, nothing. Not at all a busy week for Hart and L. Yeah, it's, it's been exciting. So obviously uh, today is the official launch day of the RTX 3070. We did the uh, RTX Founders Edition, 3070 Founders Edition review on Tuesday. And then yesterday we had AMD did their big Navi Radeon RX 6000 reveal where they talked specs and performance and pricing and all that stuff. So it's uh, there's a lot going on. Um, got three weeks until the big Navi on-shelf launch date, at which time we'll have independent benchmarks, but uh, it looks good. So, awesome. and you can't buy any of them, so what's the matter? <laughs> They're <laughs> all gonna will, sell out. We will at least be looking and talking a bit more about the 3070 in a little bit. Even if you can't quite buy it, we can at least talk about it. Um, so also joining us um, from HyperX is Dan Kelly. He's HyperX's Director of Corporate marketing. Dan, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah. So, you know, HyperX, of course, has really built a name for itself when it comes to esports and just the gaming world in general. You know, you guys are out there making hardware meant to help gamers enjoy their titles to the fullest and also leverage their own skills to the best of their ability. So what have you been seeing this year when it comes to esports and peripherals, Dan? What's the some of the biggest trend you're seeing right now? Yeah, well, certainly this year has been quite the interesting year uh, as it relates to you know esports and streaming and tournaments and uh, nothing is I think as we expected it to be in in 2020. Um, you know the the trends that I think are you know not too surprising are. Uh, more and more wireless products uh, across the board from peripherals, uh, headsets and mice, uh, you know, leading the pack there. Um, we also see a trend in, uh, from a hardware perspective in more and more lightweight mice. Uh, we introduced our version of the, the hexagon cutout mouse uh, this week with our Pulsefire Haste uh, introduction. So from a hardware perspective, you're seeing you know, more of the same there in terms of lighter mice uh, more wireless, and then certainly more features as it relates to, um, you know, audio on the headsets. Uh, but I'd say that, you know, maybe popping above a lot of those in terms of a trend is, especially in the esports world, uh, that more and more professional gamers are um, also uh, streaming either in their off time or looking at a, a life beyond professional tournaments and competitions to becoming uh, a streaming personality or a looking at that as, a, as again, as an additional way to connect with our fans. And so from that perspective, we're seeing an uptick in the demand for um, streaming uh, hardware and solutions. And we introduced our first uh, microphone last year, our quadcast. And 
this year, about a month ago, we introduced uh, an RGB version of that quadcast uh, mic, so the quadcast S. So we're continually trying to feed uh, the market because we see that there's a, a real healthy demand for streaming products to complement the, the more traditional gaming hardware and peripherals that we make, such as gaming headsets and keyboards and mice. Nice, nice. And we've, we've had um, a couple of streamers come on on the show before. So when it comes to streaming versus competitive gaming, are those players, you know, maybe more open to um, maybe not having the most high end mouse or keyboard because they're investing more on things like their camera and their mic and things like that? Well, ideally, you're, you're not having to make too, uh, too big of a trade off there um in that you know typically things like a, a mouse are very very personalized uh to an individual whether they like the claw grip uh whether they like a really light mouse maybe a little one that's a little bit more weighted um and you know just in in the way that all technology goes as more and more products come into the market and there's more competition you know prices can come down um, and make those types of options more and more affordable um you know we you know, HyperX, not to make it all about us, but we really try to pride ourselves on bringing a lot of value for whatever that price point is. And I think that's why we've had a good amount of success with our headsets and now with microphones and other products is that you get quite a bit for your money. Uh, so hopefully there's, again, not, not that need to say, am I going to get this or that, that at a, a fairly affordable price, you can get a pretty good set of streaming hardware and software to help set you up as well as the the, the professional uh, rated gaming equipment with the keyboards and mice and so on. Um, but a lot of that's going to come down to, to preference on the professional gamers front and what they what they would like. Uh, you do see trends in keyboards of them getting smaller and smaller. Uh, we worked with a company uh, earlier in the year called Ducky that's pretty famous for a 60% keyboard. So you see mm -hmm. that as a trend, again, depending on the preference of a professional gamer, whether they want more room on the desk lighter mouse, weightier mouse, it's, it comes down to per personal preference at the end of the day. Yeah, so speaking of, we have a, a question from a viewer named Carlton Turner. Um, they're thinking about a headset with no mic. Does HyperX carry those? Um, well, we do have uh, a lot of headsets that you can just take the mic right out. Um, we have a version like the one I'm wearing here, which is the mix that also connects Bluetooth uh you can't put a mic in or out um so that's essentially kind of the difference between a headphone and a headset is typically your most you know basically that a headset's going to also have microphone function uh which is the product that obviously hyperx specializes in, in in gaming headsets uh but all of that said most of our i'd say probably most yeah i think that's a safe uh claim that most of our headsets out there does have a detachable mic uh, that you can just take out and then it becomes more of a normal headphone so I want to um, talk to Jared a little bit because, you know, he works so hard on the internal side of gaming with the graphics cards. We're talking about the peripherals. Are, are, have any of these trends um, caught your eye, Jared, whether it be, you know, the really light honeycomb mice or the wireless peripherals, any of these trends appealing to you? Uh, you know, I'm... I'm pretty traditional in terms of my gaming needs. Like I, I will take a big monitor over a smaller monitor and I still use wired mice for the most part. Um, I'm not too picky on my mice. Like I've, I've got, I've got an MSI mouse and a, and a, uh, what is this? It's a Razer 
Death Adder Elite Destiny 2 version, or maybe it's a Destiny Ooh. version. Anyway, uh, I got one of those <laughs> sitting here. Like whatever's not too too expensive, but uh, but gets the job done. I I'm well past my prime for being like a competitive gamer, so I I play more single player games, and of course do a lot of hardware testing where it's like. Like I, I tested latency last week, where the mouse and the display and stuff could make a bigger difference. But uh, you know, if you're running at a 60 hertz monitor, I I think you probably won't notice much of a difference between um, mouse latency. So it'll be more down to your other peripherals. But and then as far as keyboards go, um, I like my number keypad. I if you know my <laughs> articles, I type a lot of numbers, so uh, it's good to have my number keypad. So I don't want to give that up. Uh, I I don't know. I I I stick with the old stuff mostly. Not that I wouldn't take the newer stuff, but it's just like <laughs> it's not it's not like the the critical factor for me. I'm like, no, I I want I want ten key on my laptop. I want ten key on my main plank. So that's kind of where I'm at. But I know I know the competitive gamers like. Uh, I know in games, I don't usually reach over to the number keypad unless I'm playing Microsoft Flight Simulator and then it's like a nightmare trying to figure out what each key maps to. And you're like, wait, number keypad is the default on Microsoft Flight Simulator. So good times there. Yeah, I actually reviewed that keyboard with um, HyperX and Ducky, the one too mini. And um, it was my first time really testing a 60% keyboard. And I, I did love that keyboard from its looks to its feel. But the, it, for me, it was the arrow keys I need. Really <laughs> need to go left, right, up, down, either which way. Um, so um, we have a question from Abram. I actually wanted to ask you this too, Dan. You talked about wireless peripherals um, gaining popularity. And we actually just ran a story speaking with Bluetooth and a couple of vendors about wireless mice. and the question being, can you trust wireless mice? Um, so you're you're of course dealing with uh, competitive players. Um, what do you what do you think about this, Dan? They'll stab yeah, you in I, the I, back. <laughs> Don't trust them. Don't trust them. Well, I, 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 it comes down to again preference. I think for the most part, you know, for some having that kind of wireless freedom uh, to to move without the cable attached uh, is really important. And I think from a latency pers perspective. I think that hurdle has been jumped, uh, you know, for the most part. And in some cases, depending on the environment, you know, you're still going to trust a wire over wireless. But latency is not really an issue for the most part now from a from a professional gaming perspective. But again, uh, that's really where we come at uh, the choice uh, in terms of providing as many different choices on keyboards and mice and headsets and so on. So that if you want, you know, that more, you know, I guess, desk space. Uh, and room to move a mouse around without the cable more freely, then obviously there's options there. And the latency, like I said, is not really a, a, an issue as it, as it once was. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's still going to come down to choice. As you mentioned, the 60% the is not for everyone. Uh, some want that keyboard as small as possible, so they have as much room on the desk for for mice movement, but you know, others uh, you know, want those arrow keys and the number pad and, and maybe a, a range of uh, multimedia keys as well, depending on the game and the environment. Mm -hmm. um, so something I wanted to talk to you about, Dan, um, is virtual surround sound. I feel like most of the gaming headsets that we've been testing lately um, are including that feature. And I hear some, you know, varying opinions on it. Um, some people will tell you it kind of makes, creates like an artificial sound. Um, others find it advantageous. So I'm curious to hear, um, Maybe what you're hearing from esports player esports players when it comes to virtual surround sound. Yeah, 
and and sorry that I keep coming back to maybe my, my same uh, kind of basic point is that we do offer a lot of choice there because it is not mm. for everyone. Uh, we do have, you know, the, the dongles that you can use to quickly with a push of a button, turn on, you know, 7.1, you know, surround sound or not. Uh, there's also a trend going more and more towards 3D audio um, where for gaming and when you're in a game, and, and again, it depends on the game that you're uh, playing, uh, having that surround sound can be very, very beneficial. Now, it might sound a bit artificial uh, in, in some scenarios, but at the same time, it also might tell you where uh, bullets are coming from or where footsteps are creeping up on you and so on. So having as much of that immersion in the audio soundscape is really, really key. Uh, and, you know, Virtual 7.1 is, is a great way uh, to accomplish that. Uh, but we're also seeing as well, in addition to 7.1, an adoption of 3D audio. You're seeing that as well with the, the consoles coming up uh, next month as well. So we have options on all three fronts, you know, more traditional stereo environments, uh, surround sound, as well as uh, 3D, depending on the preference of the gamer. And maybe that, you know, primary game that you play and enjoy, maybe one of those scenarios is better than the other, uh, which is, again, why we have the choice to kind of turn it on or turn it off. Uh, with the push of a button and make it easy. And can you just talk a little bit about what's the difference between virtual surround sound and when you say 3D audio? So, you know, virtual surround sound is trying to mimic as best it can what a, you know, more traditional 7.1, uh, you know, room would be with the, you know, the placement of the speakers. And obviously, you know, you're not going to have that many speakers in your your headset. So you're you're finding the best way to to, you know, to replicate that within a headset environment and typically that comes down to you know what's the hardware inside the software that's driving it so a lot of it is very software dependent uh, to create that virtual environment within a headset uh, 3d is is a bit different because it's it's not as um, you know focused on the you know the 7.1 as it is more sound recognition and spatial awareness of where the things are happening on the soundscape uh, to be able to, um, you know, replicate a, a more kind of quote unquote real environment to where um, you're able to, you know, hear and almost to some degree feel um, things happening in the game uh, more like they would in a real uh, world environment. And we're seeing that as a, as a trend. And again, it's not going to be for everyone, um, but we work with a company called uh, Waves to help us on our really high end uh, Orbit S. Uh, which does have 3D audio, um, and it has an additional really cool feature called um, head tracking. Um, and we get pretty technical in this. And in fact, if you actually open up our, our Orbit S, it actually has a tape measure uh, to, to measure the, the, the diameter of your, your head. And, and then you put that all into the software. So it's really trying to get you as tuned into the game as you can. And when you turn on the head tracking, um, what it does is it registers when you're looking um, at the screen um, so that when you actually move your head left and right, uh, the sound is not moving with you as it would in any traditional headset or headphone, uh, that the sound is actually going to stay um, as if you, again, you're in a real environment and you're hearing something in front of you. As you move to the left, it's now going to be on the right rather than moving it with you. So. A lot of really cool technology. And again, you're seeing some of this coming up with the consoles next month. Um, but at the end of the day, it's gonna come down to, to, to gamer preference, user preference, and what they, what they like from a, from a you know, again, stereo or a virtual surround sound or a 3D audio environment.
So that's all like your HRTFs, your head related transfer functions, I'm assuming. Yeah, and you're going to be a lot more uh, <laughs> familiar with the technical side on the, the acronym and uh, certainly we can get back uh, on that. But yeah, that's essentially what it is, is that it's 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 registering that and then it's tracking your head movements and then, uh, you know, calculating the audio to stay or to move with you. How much processing power is in our headsets these days to handle all uh, that? Or does it do it computer side, like on your CPU? Um, it's a combination of, of both in that environment. So there is definitely some processing power that's on the on the headset itself, but certainly it's relying on the on the machine as well to ha handle some of that load. Do you ever measure the your the diameter of your head, Jared, to get a better better? Not game for a headset. Not for a headset. <laughs> I, I think I might have measured it for a hat one time. It's been a while. <laughs> But, well, there's still I mean, time, Jerry. There's still time. Yeah, I, I remember back in the good old uh, Ariel semiconductor days, A three D audio back in what the the late nineties. Maybe I had one of those that uh, then they weren't really supported with Windows XP and Microsoft kind of clutched together drivers for them or something because the company went defunct. But those were still like very impressive three D audio for you know considering that was twenty plus years ago. <laughs> Awesome. Well, um, if you're watching this live and you have a question you want to ask Dan about um, esports gaming peripherals and what they're doing there, um, definitely drop it in. We'll try to get to those. But in the meantime, we have Jared here who's been working very hard to get to know the 3070 real close and personal. Uh, what do you What do you got to tell us, Jared? So, so you've got the 3070. Oh, let's turn off blur. Sorry. You've got the 3070 Founders Edition with the mm -hmm. little 12-pin dongle adapter. And this is this is kind of goofy because, like, if you can see here, this is your 12-pin connector. Mm -hmm. Let's get that out. And both sides of this are like so similar in size. I'm like, I'm like, why do we need this? <laughs> but uh, but I mean, it's fine. Um, the interesting thing being, because it's an, a single eight-pin connector, that's 150 watts. The PCI Express slot is 75 watts. That is um, 225 watts total power for a 220 watt TDP card. So that's that's like right at the limit. But I mean, it performs well. If you look at the review, performance was basically well. It was it was it was a bit slower than the RTX 2080 Ti, which I, and by a little bit, I mean depending on the game. I think I saw up to five percent slower was the biggest margin. Maybe a little bit more than that. There were a few games where it was also like 10 to 12% faster than a 2080 Ti, but the, the total average of the games I tested, it was like a few percent slower. Um, interestingly, you know, then you've got like the custom cards. This is the Asus. Oh, wait, no, this is this is the 3090. See, this is the 3070. Can you can you tell the difference? Let big me show cards. you. Big card and big card. This is the 3070, <laughs> which has interestingly a different backplate on it so you know you got like the four sp caps and some other cutouts but otherwise they seem to be practically the same design i still need to test that i haven't had time to to put it through all the benchmarks because i got distracted with big navi but oh i should bring this back so this was your your asus 3070 and you'll notice two eight pin connectors that's 300 watts of potential power so you know even though nvidia didn't like really go high on the power delivery system 
for the their founders edition, the partner cards are probably all going to be either eight plus six or eight plus eight pin connectors is my expectation. And they'll come factory overclocked and probably perform a few percent better than the founders edition. Um, you know, the, the big story is, can you buy one? And the answer is like <laughs> everyone expected. No, you cannot. Uh, I was not up at 6 a.m. this morning Pacific time um, when they sold out. But my understanding is like Newegg sold out within a minute or two. And, you know, people are like, hey, I had them in my cart. And then by the time I got to the checkout, the bots at the bottom, I'm like, you don't even know it's a bot. It probably wasn't even a bot because, you know, potentially there's 10,000 20,000, 30,000 people going, hey, I want a 3070. And who knows how many cards Newegg had, but I wager it was less than 10,000. And I would actually wager it was probably less than 1,000. I don't know. No one says. The only the only shop that has said how many cards they've had was the Danish pro shop. And, you know, Denmark's like, what, five and a half, six million people, quite a bit smaller than the US. So I'm like, you could <laughs> maybe try and multiply their numbers by, uh, what, 30, something like that and see, you know, but who knows how many they're getting relative to the US, relative to the UK, relative to other countries. But we do know that pretty much all the retail outlets want more cards and they're not getting them. And NVIDIA's CEO has said that's probably going to remain the case into 2021. Um, I'm expecting, you know, limited supply and demand exceeding supply until probably end of Q1 would be not surprising to me. Um, hopefully it ends sooner than that. Like maybe they'll prove me wrong. Maybe we'll get more um, stock before then, but it's it's a new fast, exciting card and everyone seems to want it and therefore it sells out really fast. Um, yeah. I don't know, like how many, how many Xboxes and PlayStation 5s have been made and pre-ordered and sold and all that stuff. I, you, you would think it would be more than the graphics cards, but I don't know. Have you been following this, Sam, this mad rush to try to get NVIDIA's latest graphics cards? Yeah, from an outsider, you know, looking in, uh, my budget didn't support it this round. So I wasn't in the, <laughs> I wasn't in the, in the running uh, to get in line, but I've certainly been, you know, following the excitement around the, 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 the cards and the, the level of demand for sure. Well, look, can't you get one because you need to test what the gamers, <laughs> the pro gamers are going to be. Yeah, using. what are you using? That's what I want to know. I, you know what? It's it's been a year since I put it in there, and I don't even have it handy on here. But I, you know, it's it's a it's a higher end one. It's it's. God, I feel like cracking my case open. Twenty eighty super. In there. Uh, gosh, likely. Yep. Actually, that is it. Yep. <laughs> Jared's really good. <laughs> that sounds really like good. a year old card. Like that. That would be the one yep. you would have got a year ago if you wanted. Not quite the absolute best, which was still the twenty eighty Ti, but the the. Sane best, the one that didn't cost over a thousand dollars. That's usually where I'm at. Is I'm the one right below the the, the most expensive. It, it gets the yeah. job done for me in, in the gaming that I do. So we have a question from Andre Bonifacio, which I say with confidence because I apologize if I pronounce that wrong. But Andre would like to know 3070 or 6800 XT. Well, you haven't tested. Right. So <laughs> so that's the catch, right? We don't know how the 6800 XT is actually going to perform. But here's, here's what AMD showed. They showed roughly equivalent performance with the 6800 XT and the RTX 3080. And the 6800 XT costs $50 less. 
But the key here is they showed nothing about ray tracing. They showed it running ray tracing, but they did not provide any performance benchmarks. Um, in their briefing, they did say, hey, we've got one ray accelerator per compute unit. So if you do, you know, that means they've got 72 RAs, RAWs, I like that. Wow, I'm God um, doing ray tracing for you. But anyway, the, the RAs, you've got 72 of them. The uh, 3080 has Ampere's RT cores, which are, according to NVIDIA, about 70% faster in practice than the Turing RT cores. And so it sounds like AMD's RA cores are roughly equal to Turing's RT cores. And so, you know, even though it's got four more than the 3080, they're not as fast. And so the net result is you expect slower ray tracing performance from AMD's first gen ray tracing card. And that, none of that's like super surprising. There's, do you need ray tracing, right? Like this is still the big debate. Um, I'm actually testing uh, Watchdogs Legion right now. I have benchmarks that I can throw up later today, I hope, but uh, it uses ray tracing. <laughs> for reflections and it's rainy London. So there's lots of water puddles and you get slightly better reflections. But I mean, I'm staring at this stuff and I'm like, if I look for it, I absolutely see the better quality reflections. It's like um, how to illustrate this. So with screen space reflections, your ray, it, it basically does a fudge where it says, here's, here's the screen and there's a puddle here on the screen. So we can calculate this angle of deflection and blur this out and put it on a puddle or a reflective surface and you get kind of a, a good looking reflection approximation. It's not perfect, but it's good. The problem is like, there's one scene where there's a puddle here and you're standing here walking. So the reflection would bounce here and should reflect what's here, but that's not in the screen because it's you're looking at the underside of, a, of an overpass. And so the puddle doesn't reflect that with ray tracing off. Um, if you go to the lower levels of reflection in a lot of games, they'll stop reflecting dynamic objects as well. So like, you know, people walking around and bullet flashes won't show up in reflections. And it's like, it's less realistic, but are you really going to care? And it depends on the game. Like I really noticed the lack of reflections in, um, or the lack of ray trace reflections in control. That's like kind of the high water mark for doing really good ray tracing so far. Um, Fortnite RTX, like if you turn on all the ray tracing stuff, it looks better. It also performs much worse. And so you have to enable DLSS and basically use their AI enhanced super, what not super scaling, um, resolution upscaling to get it to back to playable performance levels. Um, that's kind of the thing is you need, you need ray tracing and DLSS or some form of upscaling hand in hand to get good performance and NVIDIA has been doing that for two years. They've got DLSS 2.x now. Um, they've got ray tracing second gen hardware. So it all works pretty well together. And I think with Unreal Engine supporting it, um, I think I think some of the other engines support it as well, but I, I don't know for sure, so I won't say. But uh, anyway, you'll see more ray tracing being enabled because of the next gen consoles, because of the um, the the amount of time that hardware has been out and just because now AMD and NVIDIA both offer ray tracing hardware, but it's still going to be one of those things where it's it's diminishing returns. So if you want to run at higher frames per second, you'll turn down your quality settings a bit in order to get maybe 144 FPS. Whereas if you're, you know, maybe just 
playing single player and you want the best looking experience, then you enable ray tracing and all the bells and whistles. And if you've got it, you turn on DLSS. Uh, AMD talked about a an alternative to DLSS that's working on. It didn't call it that specifically, but it's called uh, Fidelity FX Super Resolution. I assume they're probably working with Microsoft and Sony to get super resolution Fidelity FX stuff into games because if you look at the RX 6800, their base level next gen card, which costs $580, um, it's, uh, it's faster than a Xbox Series X. It's got 60 compute units instead of 52. So, you know, basically your bottom of the Navi to a, a Navi 21 GPUs is going to be faster than your next gen consoles, which means the next gen consoles need to figure out ways to upscale to 4K and stuff in order to get playable frame rates. Um, anyway, I, there was a lot of stuff I talked about there. Um, <laughs> bottom line, we don't know if the 6800 XT is really going to be our recommendation or if it's going to stay at the 3080 or if it's going to be the 3070 or the 6800 or whatever. Um, looking at kind of the paper specs and and what I've tested, I've tested 3070 and 3080. I'm kind of of the opinion, I'm like, go for the 3080 because it's 30% faster, 25% faster than the 3070. It's got 10 gigabytes of memory. And the 3070, I'm it, it can run into situations now where eight gigabytes of memory might not be enough. The flip side is AMD is offering you 16 gigabytes. So um, those those new big Navi cards are looking competitive in a lot of ways, and they they get around like their limited memory bandwidth with this massive 128 megabyte infinity cache. And so, I I want to test it. I really want to see what ray tracing performance looks like, and and if it's it doesn't need to be faster than Nvidia or even as fast as Nvidia. It just needs to be fast enough, right? So it's like, well, if you can run Watch Dogs Legion with high quality ray tracing instead of ultra quality ray tracing, I really doubt you'll notice the difference. And if they perform the same, then you would take the cheaper card. That's that's where I end up. So these I think poor, the 6800 XT is the best. These poor eSports players, they probably never get, they never get to turn on their ray tracing. They're always shooting for frames. Yeah, they're like turn everything down except maybe a few options that might help them spot other players better. Do you think there'll ever be a world where, because you, we talk about the consoles coming out and how that's influencing um, peripherals and things like that as well, will it ever be such a world where, because ray tracing is so commonplace, that maybe pro players will ever get to enjoy it? I guess it'll always just take away too much, um, require too much power, processing power. I mean, if you think about it, we are right now, we're at basically two years into the real-time ray tracing on consumer GPUs, right? And if you take the first transform and lighting accelerated GPUs were the GeForce um, DDR, GeForce 256 back in uh, uh, in 2000, right? Like it's the 20, no, it's 21 years, 1999, I guess. Um, maybe I got that wrong, but anyway, from the time hardware transform and lighting showed up in hardware, to the time it actually become com became commonly used in games was, I was there and it, it, it felt like forever. Um, it was probably like three to five years. Nowadays, 20 years later, it's like 
everything uses it depends on hardware transform and lighting like there's if you tried to pull out a geforce 256 even if you could get up-to-date drivers and you tried to run a modern game you'd just be like oh no this is this is terrible even intel's integrated graphics probably um provides a better experience but uh but it's going to be a while so i i think you know if you look at what nvidia has done so far you've gone from turing to ampere they say ray tracing per per RT performance increased by 70%. Um, and they didn't really add too many more RT cores. I mean, there's there's more in the 3090 than there was in the 2080 Ti, but it's like, uh, it's 82 versus um, 68, if, I, if I'm right. 84, 82, I think 82. Anyway, um, go ahead to like the RTX 4000, the RTX 5000. Like eventually we're gonna get the point where it's like, hey, we've now got so much ray tracing performance available that we no longer need to worry about turning it off in order to get frame rates up. Ray tracing everywhere, as far yeah. as the eye can see. I read a lot of, uh, you know, sci-fi, cyberpunk and such books. And mm -hmm. I always laugh when they talk about things like, oh, yeah, a supercomputer the size of your pinky. And it and it does all this amazing stuff. I'm like, yeah, um, Moore's Law is probably not going to let that happen. <laughs> um, Moore's Law is dead, I think, is, is kind of how it goes. Like, you're not going to get to the point where we're like, hey, we got one atom transistors. So... Um, so if you have any questions for Jared, he is the 3070 king right now. So uh, definitely put them in the chat and pick his brain while, while we have him on the air. Um, we do have some questions for, for Dan that I want to um, look at. One is from Javier. Um, Javier is asking, why, don't you why doesn't HyperX have products without RGB? But I believe you do have a lot, right? Well, you definitely have headsets without RGB. Yeah, so, you know, RGB is, you know, again, coming down to preference, um, you know, we started uh, as with any, you know, tech company, you start somewhere and then you continue to grow. Uh, our initial keyboards and mice were single color uh, red. Uh, we've since been able to build RGB into um, all of our keyboards going forward and, and more and more of our mice. Um, there's no RGB on any of our headsets uh, at this point. Um, but, you know, with all of these, you know, keyboards, mice, uh, you can always turn the RGB off um, and it's highly customizable. And I'd say that's also a trend as well. Um, you know, not just the form factor and the size of the actual keyboard or mouse or the grip or whether it's wired or wireless, but also the ability to, to customize your lighting, to have everything match aesthetically or uh, to change, you know, keys and macros and things of that nature to, to customize your, your gaming setup. But um, certainly in terms of, you know, cost and, you know, performance, uh, on the more entry level, you're going to see less at RGB. And we do have some products in that, in that uh, price range, I'd say, that are not RGB. But more and more, especially as costs come down, uh, you're going to see RGB as a, as a kind of standard feature. Uh, which is always something, again, that you could turn on or off or customize to your liking. So any plans for an RGB headset from HyperX? Nothing I can divulge uh, now. Uh, you know, certainly, you know, people like RGB, me personally, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's hey. uh, something to, uh, you know, it's something cool to play with and then have it, you know, highly customizable. It also requires additional technology and power and all of that to, to run. So putting it into a headset becomes a little bit more tricky than say a keyboard uh, that's plugged in, but um, you know, 
can't divulge too much, but certainly we're we're, we're discussing it and seeing what uh, what makes sense for our headset roadmap. What comes after RGB? That's what I want to know. <laughs> you've you've got to be the expert here. You're the you're the you're the forward thinking. Uh, the only thing I've got is sci-fi, right? Yeah. Hologram uh, projectors off of your head, right? Yeah, there you then go. you can annoy all the people around you with a giant hologram above <laughs> you that that you can't see, but everyone else can. There you go. Yeah, so you want like what's more annoying? You want to be more annoying than RGB. That's the trend, right? Like it, it needs to be more flash. I mean, you know, you look at Blade Runner movie and stuff like that, where it's like all the advertisings are so in your face. I'm like, hey, uh, you know, we're on the internet. We we see our own site and uh, newsflash. There's a lot of advertisements out there. And I don't think anyone's ever thought, man, I really love seeing all those advertisements. And no one besides the publishers or the people who make money from them. But uh that's, the RGB isn't annoying. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's like a beautiful <laughs> rainbow-colored butterfly. So I want to one color. You don't need to have them all flying around the at the same time. That's the beauty of RGB. You get sixteen plus million colors. You could you just pick one. <laughs> Maybe you can have hologram projections of what you're seeing on your your VR goggles or whatever we're doing in twenty years, right? And it will be a three D image showing your fight above your head. There you go. <laughs> Make it happen. Yeah, yeah. We'll do what we can to to help uh, push the envelope on things. But yeah, it's it's fun to think about where, you know, gaming and holograms, augmented reality, where that could all truly, truly go in the in the future. You know, even envisioning like stadiums like Rocket League, right? That's such a fun game. But you know, at some point, holographic, you know, type of stadium environments, anything is possible in the future. Oh man, I want to be the ball in Rocket League. I want to be like flying around and have that virtual experience. Get a little bit of motion sickness there, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we have another question that I want to ask because their name is pretty spooky, I think. It's from Starkiller1717, right? Isn't that scary? They're killing all the stars. Um, they would like to know, will there ever be any headsets for someone who may be half deaf? That's a, that's a, a good question. Um, and, you know, we do work with, you know, uh, some of our influencers are, are deaf or hard of hearing. And so uh, customizable, I think, is the, the key there uh, to be able to, in the future, customize, you know, sound and whether it's coming out of one headset or one can or the other. Uh, that's not something that we have a lot of capability now. It just is coming out of both at the same time. We do have chat headsets, depending on if it's one ear or the other, where it's just, you know, one ear cup, just with the headset coming out that you can switch from the left uh, or the right uh, ear. But uh, overall accessibility is something that's important to us. And it's, it's part of the, the direction that we're heading in terms of looking at our products and working with other leaders in the space, like what Microsoft is doing with their accessibility products and, and seeing how we can align and make more of our products uh, tuned into those that have special needs for sure. Mm -hmm. And we have, um, well, this isn't quite a question, but it, it's a nice comment. Bill Switzer has a message for you, Dan. Bill said, I have had a HyperX headset for a long time and by far the best I've ever used. Don't fix what ain't broke and no RGB, please. So there's a little, <laughs> take take that to heart if, if, if you want. <laughs> well, I, I that's a great comment and appreciate it. And, and I do think that, um, you know, we, we don't want to fix what's not broken for sure. We have a, a pretty good track record of coming out with uh, very comfortable, good sounding headsets that you can wear for hours and hours. 
Um, you know, we did this introduce finally after I think six years, uh, the, the, the next version of our most popular headset, which is our cloud two, we just introduced a cloud two wireless version, which comes out next month. Um, but what we really wanted to do is to that comment is not change it so much that you lose that, uh, that, that feeling that you get from our, from our headsets, but adding wireless and some additional, um, you know, tweaks to it, uh, to where you, you can still get a level of improvement, but without losing that. Uh, kind of tried and true experience of a HyperX headset. And if I may say, we did get that headset in our lab. So if you stay tuned to the site, you can see our thoughts on it really soon. Don't you laugh, Jared? Everyone's going to Yeah, I'm not laughing. I'm a, <laughs> I'm a little jealous. I don't have any, I don't think I have a HyperX headset around. I've got a few, but you know, I'm, I'm on these old junky things because they plug into my, uh, into my microphone and then I don't get the feedback loop, but uh, yeah. Well, we have a few minutes left in our show. So if you have anything else you want to ask Dan from HyperX, um, let us know. In the meantime, we have, I think, a pretty deep question from Javier. Jared, let's see if you could take a swing at it. How come graphics are making so much progress, like 50% each generation, and CPUs are so slow, like 10% each generation? For example, my 4790K is still a good processor nowadays. It comes largely because of parallelism. Um, so if you take a graphics problem, you've got your screen sitting in front of you. And, you know, especially at 4K, there's 8 billion, no, 8 million, sorry, 8 megapixels, roughly 8 million pixels. And so it's like in terms of programming and, and hardware designs, you can do what's called this divide and conquer thing where you're like, hey, we don't need to do one at a time. We can split it up into jobs. And so we say, this core does 50 pixels and this one does 50 and we'll scatter them across or whatever you want to think, however you want to think about it. Basically, you can scale to lots and lots of GPU cores and get a real benefit from doing so. Um, CPUs are very general purpose. They need to be able to handle all sorts of different branching code and, and different tasks like that, which leads to them being less scalable in terms of like, there are, there are tasks like 3D rendering. If you're doing, you know, Hollywood style ray tracing, path tracing to do a movie. Yes, if you go from a four core CPU to an eight core CPU to even a 64 core CPU, like the Epic CPUs, um, you'll scale almost linearly with the number of cores and your clock speed. But if you're doing like running Windows and just surfing the web and doing a lot of other tasks, the scaling won't be nearly as high. Uh, games are the same the same way for your CPU. Like there's a lot of a lot of code that pretty much ends up being dependent on a few threads that are running on your CPU, and that's your bottleneck. So you know if you go from a eight core um, chip like an, a 9900K or 10700K or the Ryzen 7 3700X, right? And then you go up to a 16-core chip like the Ryzen 9 3950X. In most games, you actually don't see a performance boost and you see a performance degradation in the case of the Ryzen 3950X because of latencies. Now you've got two chiplets and each of those has two CCXs and to talk from chiplet or CCX1 on this chiplet to CCX2 on this chiplet, it still goes out the infinity fabric and comes back. If you go between the chiplets, it's got to go out to the infinity and fabric and back. So it adds latency. 
that's one of the big things that Zen 3 is changing, the Ryzen 5000 chips. They're, they're putting a unified L3 cache between the CCXs so it doesn't have to go out to the Infinity fabric. And that's a big deal. And that games really often depend on latency. You know, you think about it, if you're running at 60 frames per second, that's 16.6 milliseconds per frame. So all of your rendering, your AI, your, you know, whatever you want to do, analyzing input, post-processing, all that stuff has to happen in 16 milliseconds or less to run at 60 frames per second. Well, what if you're an esports guy and you want a gamer and you want to do, you know, 144 or 240 FPS? Well, at 240 FPS, you now have like four point what 4.2 milliseconds something like that it's you know it's like such a small amount of time and so you know they end up like even if you could try and split it out it's like well let's say we take a game and we we rewrite it and we're like now let's make it try to use 16 cpu cores you might actually end up with the process of splitting it up and then recombining the results into a unified whole might take you a couple of milliseconds. And that's not acceptable if you're trying to do all of your graphics rendering in four milliseconds. So that's that's kind of the fundamental problem is you've got different algorithms and tasks and workloads that scale really well with parallelism and others that don't. And graphics for games just happens to be one of those that it's super scalable. And so you can add more GPU cores, you can, Focus on, I mean, like your 3D graphics is mostly a lot of math and doing multiplication, especially for 3D transforms and lighting and texture calculations. I'll do these, these different math applications. And so it's like, all you have to do is focus on that subset and you don't have to be great at everything, which is kind of what a CPU has to do. And so that's that's your not, your bottom line is, is that graphics is more scalable. Um, you know, NVIDIA, not NVIDIA, AMD and Intel both are saying their next generation CPU architectures are going to be like double digit percentage gains in IPC instructions per clock. That's a big gain. And uh, they're doing that by focusing on reducing latency and such, which improves your IPC throughput. But all the low hanging fruit for CPUs, not all of it, but a lot of it has been found in the past four decades, five decades of CPU research. And so there's not as many easy things left to fix. Well, thanks, Jared. You that actually long, long-winded question. Yeah, but you actually had an answer. It wasn't just some hypothetical, you know, thoughts. I was a computer programmer. Like I, that was my degree. I studied computer science. I think one of the most interesting classes that I remember still to this day was called algorithm analysis. Uh, okay. So it was like, it was basically like looking at how algorithms scale. And, and so like you have different scaling factors, it's called big O notation, which is, you know, like if you go from say 10 units to hundred units, how much more complex did that problem become? And a bad algorithm is like big O N squared or N cubed where it's like, oh, instead of doing a hundred compares, uh, like for big O 10 on N squared, you're like, that's a hundred comparisons. For 100, it's 10,000 comparisons. And for 1,000, it's a million comparisons. You're like, that's terrible. Like, we can't scale oh. that way. The Jared, I be, keep that pre-calc. Yeah. <laughs> the, the best scaling algorithms are like your 
your logarithmic scaling or linear scaling where it's like, oh, well, if we if we go to, you know, twice as many things, it takes twice as long or it only takes 10% longer or whatever. And so that was what the class was about. And so one of the things was like divide and conquer, which is what graphics kind of does. You, you split workloads up and you figure out how to attack each piece quickly separately rather than looking at the whole. And and so that's, that was a cool class back in the day. Uh, it still applies today, so. Um, so I have a bit of an easier question for Dan. Um, does HyperX have any official chairs? We have a comment saying they see some online, but not on HyperX's website. So I guess the question is, do you guys make gaming chairs? Uh we do. We work with a partner on those. Uh, currently, they're only available in uh, Europe, um, where we introduced them last year, and we've had a, a good amount of success. And that's essentially why they're not here yet, uh, is because it's essentially also with the, you know, the complexities of 2020 from a manufacturing point of view, uh, you want to make sure that when you introduce them that you have enough stock to satisfy. So uh, I would look to 2021, uh, hopefully earlier in the year, uh, is the is the target uh, for HyperX branded gaming chairs in the in, in the U.S. Cool, so and so to where we um, might be going, but we're having some success there in Europe. So, are those chairs on Nordic? That's what the comment says. They're seeing them on Nordic's site. Yes, those are the same same chairs. Like okay. I said, we work with a, a partner um, on the on the actual chairs themselves, um, and that was where we initially introduced them up in the Nordics, and they've had a, a good amount of success there. And now we're trying to uh, take that success and scale it, which is you know taking a little bit of time, but uh, it'll be worth the wait. You know, going back to the GPU stuff, I I do really wonder what twenty twenty GPU launches would have been without COVID, like. I, I still think even though we've been dealing with the pandemic for what, almost nine months now um, and lockdowns and all that stuff, I'm like, I can't help but think that a lot of the shortages are just supply chain delays and problems coming up that wouldn't have been there in the pre-COVID environment. And, you know, it's, it's like when the 3080 with people were saying, hey, I got my 3080, but it came without a packaging box. And it's like, well, that's probably because they thought, well, you want the card more than you want the box. So it's been a it's been a mess. It's, it's definitely been a challenge for sure across the board, supply chain, just factories open and closing, you know, getting the workers back. It's it's been probably the most challenging year that I, you know, I think any of us can can recall. So if it wasn't for the pandemic, I'd be gaming on a 3090 and sitting in a HyperX chair right now. Exactly. <laughs> Guaranteed. <laughs> so if we, you can rewrite past. I think we have time for one more question. Um, and it's from either WOPR or Whopper, like the burger. I'm going to go with WOPR. Um, I'm going to direct it toward Dan. Um, I wonder if you can make headsets that allow you to change out the speaker for different type of sounds. I'm wondering what that means exactly. I'll, I'll do my best. Uh, not, not, not exactly sure, but you know, there are, um, you know, the drivers inside of the headset and we do have, you know, different types of drivers. Um, most of our headsets are uh, more a, a traditional driver, um, a plastic based driver. Uh, we do have a technology where we have what's called a dual chamber driver, which is the, the hardware inside of the ear cups themselves. 
the reason it's dual chamber is to separate better out the highs and the lows and uh, again, get you more immersed within the sound. Um, and the only other option that we have is the different types of actual uh, ear cups uh, themselves. So we have this kind of leatherette as well as a mesh that does actually change to some degree the sound that allows in or, or out. Uh, again, that comes back to preference in terms of if you like it more breathable and whatnot. Um, but without knowing, you know, a bit more as to the nature of the, the question there. I think uh, you're playing war games, they added. That... So, so war games. <laughs> it's, it's a great movie. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Are you talking about the 1980s war games? Yeah, really of course. Would you I like to play a game? Yeah, um, tic-tac-toe. Yeah, um, not sure. I, I mean, obviously, you know, we, we're, you know, we don't, we don't make speakers. The speakers that we have are already pretty much encased within the headsets themselves. Not really a lot of interchangeable there, except for we do have different types of drivers. Like I said on that, that Orbit S, which I was mentioning earlier, which is the one with the 3D audio as well as the head tracking that has planar magnetic drivers, uh, which you know is a bit more on the higher end and allows us to accomplish that 3D audio. So. Again, coming down to choice and budget, you know, there's some different options for what you'd like it to sound like, but no current uh, way to plug in or, or change out the speakers, if you will, in the headsets themselves. Oh, we have confirmation, everyone. Name is from uh, the movie War Game, the server name. I was going to say, it sounded vaguely familiar. <laughs> Whopper. Oh, very yeah. cool. Well, thank you for your question um, and for the insight into your name. Um, so that is about all the time we have for today's show, but be sure to like Tom's Hardware on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. And don't forget, you can also download every episode of the Tom's Hardware show as a podcast. So we'll be back next Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern time as always. But first, I want to thank Jared for stopping by. Thank you, Jared. Three weeks until the RX 6800 XT 6800 launch. So I've got like a little bit of a reprieve. <laughs> <laughs> keep going, keep going. Um, so also I want to, of course, thank Dan from HyperX. Thank you so much for stopping by. It's been amazing to have you. Um, any last words for the viewers? No, I obviously appreciate the time. I, I learned a lot as well. Uh, so I appreciate Jared's time uh, too. Uh, no, just, you know, like I said, appreciate the time. Um, you know, we make quite the wide range of headsets, keyboards, mice, microphones, and again, depending on the preference of audio and size and RGB and all the like, uh, it really comes down to choice at the end of the day. So appreciate the time. All right. That's our show. We'll see you next Thursday.